Chapter Twenty Four of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. Mrs. Dan took her first long walk next day and asked Amy to accompany her. Amy was pleased and her eyes glistened. She had nearly recovered from her alarm of the other day, and this sudden act of condescension on Mrs. Dan's part clinched the matter and made everything safe. Nothing had come of the town nurse's threatened revelations. The creature now avoided her eye, and Janie Summerbell assured Amy that she had ceased from crackling papers and now took care to keep a civil tongue in her head. "'She knows she hasn't frightened us, miss,' the simple girl averred. "'And she sees you going about the house as bold as ever, with your little bag full of papers in your hand, and the master giving you the key of the cellar, too. Anybody can see as you are not to be interfered with.' It was true. Amy's credit in Mr. Dan's house had never been higher. She reigned supreme. She made lists, she handled money, she interviewed outside servants and gave them their orders, she even ordered Mr. Dan's clothes for him now, from his London tailors. The situation was at an end. Mr. Dan's letter had not been so incriminating after all, for the cockney nurse had not thought it worth while to show it. All was well. Her spirits rose to becoming point. She had never in her life looked so handsome. The two old ladies stood on the steps of the house to speed the two younger ones on their way. Most of their solicitude was for Amy, very little for the recent invalid. "'Good-bye. Get some roses in those pale cheeks,' cried Lady Medrow. "'Have a nice walk. You need it. But mind, be back in time to do my foot,' called Mrs. Bowman. "'Oh, yes, Edith must not be out too long,' Amy assured them. Edith was dull and calm, a little discontented-looking as usual. And as usual she walked fast, with her head a little bent down. Amy counselled more deliberation. "'You know there's no hurry. You must not overdo it.' "'Why do you bother about me?' said the wife. "'Why should I not?' "'It is just as if you cared about me.' "'I do.' not a pin a brooch a locket a tiara a great deal you can't care for me or you or i what said amy you may say what you like but i think i do truly appreciate you i consider you an awful brick the best woman i have ever known and the most patient yes that i am said edith violently because it must be rather trying the whole arrangement eh here am I, a mere outsider, taking on myself to boss your house for you, and you never get cross or order me out, but just sit still and look pretty. Because if I did order you out, replied Edith, as one in a dream of sincerity, I know that Jeremy would have you back again the next minute. You do it all so well, I don't deny that. No better than I could, only I have been ill and unable." However, as soon as I get over this, I mean to assume the reins again. Will you? Shall you mind very much? asked the other, bending a weakly inquisitorial gaze on her companion. Yes, said Amy frankly. I shall mind very much, although, of course, it is your right. And you will help me, won't you? I'll try, but I'm afraid I shall not be able to work with you as well as I work for you. It isn't in my nature. I need a free hand to bring out all my capabilities. "'And if it doesn't work, I suppose you'll go,' suggested Edith timorously. "'I suppose so.' 
the vision of her two mothers and their recent threats dictated to the poor young woman her next appealing phrase oh amy you have edged me out haven't you it isn't my fault is it replied amy sadly sometimes i wish i had never come here no it is my fault and jeremy's he loves comfort he has bad days when he wants everything nice you fuss about him i let you i was wrong to be so confiding how could i foresee that it would turn out so but protested amy earnestly it hasn't turned out so badly has it don't i give satisfaction at least i have done you no harm either to you or your house truly amy have you not oh i must sit down she felt that now she was reaching the kernel of the matter and her knees threatened to give way there would be a scene edith mentally enjoyed and physically dreaded scenes they gained the summit of a tree-set hill a kind of half-wild half-encouraged hangar just off the path stood a log hut that mr dand had once designed and built pergola-wise at least it was not draughty amy bestowed her charge in the warmest corner and stood up in front of her she could no longer blind herself to the fact that all was not well in the state and judged it well to speak and clinch matters yes she said gently i can truly say that i have never done you an injury you sound sincere but then you always do because i always am sincerity may be your pose said the other in vague reminiscence of some epigrammatic novel but out with it dear amy don't attempt to terrorize me you make me feel as if i could not say what has got to be said i can guess it ah can you then say it no indeed you must do your own dirty work accuse me and i will answer you amy my husband do you love him no i do not though i don't see what right you have to ask me such a question then the wife did not seem able to bring herself to frame the words of the corollary she blurted it out at last does he amy finished her sentence calmly love me eh that is hardly a fair question either i can't be expected to answer it suppose you confine yourself to ascertainable facts you can't assess love and its sum total well then amy will you deny that he writes you love letters oh that's it is it amy whistled how can you take it like that nervousness pure nervousness i beg your pardon have you the letter in your possession i have why because i should like to read it and i swear to you that it will be for the first time that can't be true it may sound strange said amy gently and seriously and kindly she had got her balance again but it is so the letter you hold was duly received by me and never perused as a matter of fact it flew up the chimney in a piece what an extraordinary story true nevertheless so as you have read the letter and i have not you had better hand it over unless indeed as you have taken the precaution of reading it you think it would be bad for my morals it is not it is edith stuttered the fine phrases of blame conceived a while back in her spirit of rigorous puritanism she now found it impossible to pronounce the letter makes no difference doesn't it though you don't seem to think how nice it is for me to have an irresponsible sort of man 
damning me like that, without my knowledge or connivance. I knew the sort of letters he would write, and that is why I put this one on the fire without reading it. I didn't ask him to write it to me. In fact, I asked him not to do so, most particularly. I consider that he has behaved very ill indeed, getting me into this stupid mess, just when I was going on so nicely and was so happy. I can't help it if you were happy. You had no right to be while you were receiving letters like that. That's right, women all the world over. It was your paragon wrote the letter, scold him. But you won't. No, you have only blame for me. Oh, how I do despise and detest women's way of going on. Unjust, unfair, uncharitable. She fumed as she paced the narrow limits of the pergola. But, my dear, Mrs. Dand murmured with upturned chin from her encompassing rugs, you don't seem to realize, do you, that a man doesn't, as a rule, address a woman so familiarly unless she has given him a right to do so. You don't know your husband. He is bound by none of those tiresome laws of decency. He doesn't stick at anything, at least, as far as words go. I don't know what he said, but I call it striking at one in the dark, stabbing one in the back, letting one in for this sort of thing. I call it tactless, inconsiderate. But there, so he is, the most selfish man I know. Hush, hush! I cannot hear you speak so of poor dear Jeremy. A smile broke over the wife's face. She was defending him, standing up for him. She was grateful to Amy for abandoning this wifely role to her, and felt a queer slavish kindness for the little pale virago, striding about the log hut. Then her tedious righteousness came uppermost again, and she made a desperate appeal to the criminal, spurred on by visions of melodrama. "'Amy, can you look in my face, his wife's face, and tell me that Jeremy isn't your lover?' "'Yes, right in your face.' He is not my lover in any sense of the word that matters. Why should you qualify? But I believe you, Amy. But can you swear that you haven't encouraged him to flirt with you? Oh, I am not so sure about that. I haven't done wrong, but I have been very foolish, and it is all coming back on my own head. You are a nice woman, and I'll trust you, and you must trust me. You can. I have never done you any harm, or meant you any, on my honour. I've got honour, though I am not county, and only a companion. She swooped like a blue swallow in her dark serge dress, and sat down beside Mrs. Dand. I have never had your advantages, so how can you expect me to behave like a lady in this affair, or in any affair? But I can be honest, and I will. We can talk as woman to woman, and discuss it quietly. "'I don't quite see how I can discuss my husband with you,' said Edith stiffly. Amy turned pale and rose. "'As you will,' she said sadly. "'I only know that I was quite willing to meet you and make a clean breast of it and tell you the simple truth about him and me. But if you won't, you won't.' "'I didn't quite say I wouldn't.' "'Well, but you make it too difficult. You are so conventional in your vexation.' "'Vexation! A husband's love!' one's whole life at stake. Irritation, then. I refuse to take it seriously. I know I'm all right, and that is all that matters for you. As for men, they may be all right, too, but it isn't the same. Mr. Dand is all right. Am I to believe you? 
You'd better, because I know. Out of my knowledge comes my great contempt and my tolerance. Well, she sat down, and Mrs. Dan made room for her on the seat, gave her a bit of shawl. What you want to know is where we are, your husband and I. I tell you, this is a rather horrid business, but it is by no means a hopeless one. I see daylight. It begins from this. You are quite persuaded now that I don't love him. It wasn't easy to persuade you, was it? Natural enough in a wife. You won't find it so difficult to believe that he doesn't love me, eh? Perhaps he thinks he does. I dare say it's a way men have, because they like it assume that they can love a dozen at once and have enough to go round and disappoint none of them. But as a matter of fact, he has never told me so in so many words. He doesn't use the word love in the letter, I admit. I'm glad to hear it. Good for him. Let me see. How shall I describe the terms we are on? They are queer. Everything's queer, but not in the least disturbing. The difficulty of explaining to Edith the complicated sophistries of her relations with Dand smote her, and she decided to put the case simply, in material terms that Edith could not fail to comprehend. On my honour, he has never kissed me. The wife's eyes grew misty with relief. Returning confidence in Amy brought the happy tears into them. She whimpered, The only thing, then, now, is it hurts me so. My vanity, you will say. I say my love. I always thought I comprehended Jeremy and his mood so thoroughly that our two minds jumped together. He never kept anything from me before. Indeed, he did not need to tell me things. I divined them by the power of intense sympathy. And this affair between you sounds so queer, so unusual, so unlike anything else, so squalid, if you'll forgive the word. I'll forgive anything if you'll only forgive him. Why do you care about my forgiving him if you don't love him? Edith asked, like a suspicious child. Because I don't choose that anyone should get abused and worried unnecessarily if I can help it. And also, when I am not cross with Mr. Dand, I always call him Mr. Dand, if that's any comfort to you, I like him well enough. How could you help liking him? Amy, what do you two talk about when you are together? I can't tell you. I forget. Amy, if you are going to keep me in the dark like that, I shall always be wondering. Oh, good Lord, I couldn't stand that. You would wonder out loud. I had better go. Go away? For good? Yes, from here to begin with. You will be catching cold in this damp old hut. Let us get home. As they worked their way down the steep hill path, where dead leaves crackled, and Amy had to hold and ward off the impertinent branches from her face, Mrs. Dand was thinking urgently of the ire of her two mothers, when they should be informed of the developments to which this walk, from which they had hoped so much, had led. Amy had threatened to go. Then they would remove their eight hundred a year each from the common fund, and Jeremy would be wild, more angry even than over the loss of Amy. He cared more for his money than even Amy, so she fancied. She looked furtively at Amy every now and then. Amy looked determined, and the hand she extended to the more delicate woman from time to time to help her over rough places was cold and unmagnetic. She withdrew that helpful quality, first thing, of course, thought Edith. Amy would consent to mesmerize her headaches away no more. 
Amy, on the other hand, was considering how far she could go in her feint of leaving. She did not want to leave, but she was determined that it should be Mrs. Dand who implored her to stay. She would stay for the sake of the child if she could, and take the responsibility of keeping Mr. Dand in order. Her lips were tight-set as they gained the open. She waited obstinately for Edith Dand to speak. She had made up her mind that the younger woman would hold out no further than the gate at the end of the home meadow, and she was right. Edith was desperately afraid of meeting the eye of Mrs. Bowman and Lady Medrow, and inviting them to consider a house that knew not Amy's ministrations as their home in the future. They would refuse. She knew it. She could not manage to get rid of Amy this time. She spoke. Her throat was dry. She suffered more than she had suffered when the nurse had first read her those few compromising sentences. This was real. This was earnest. "'Do you really mean, Amy, that you want to leave us?' "'Yes. Had I not better?' "'You are going to say that I have sent you away?' "'I will, if you like.' "'But I don't send you away. It is a matter entirely for you to decide.' "'Frankly, then, I think I ought to go.' "'Ought, but not must,' said Edith. "'It won't be my doing. I don't drive you.' "'No, my own sense of decency drives me.' "'But if you didn't really ever flirt with my husband "'and never, never mean to again, "'I should have to stipulate that. "'Or let him flirt either.' "'Oh, it's all too difficult,' said Amy, sighing. "'No, I still think it can be arranged.' "'Candidly, Edith, I need a rest. "'It is better for me to go.' "'But what will you do?' "'I don't know. "'More mischief, I suppose.' take to evil courses. Oh, Amy, don't threaten to go to the bad like Dawes. I should never forgive myself, nor would Jeremy. Oh, he, really, Amy, he is very fond of you. I know it. I don't mind. I was excited just now, and if you threaten to leave us, he will be so cross. He will sulk for days, for years, perhaps. I dare say I'm useful. Now you are bitter. I have everything to make me so. "'Poor girl! I dare say it is trying for you, living in the same house with such a fascinating man. I am not hard on you. It is you who are hard on yourself.' They were nearing the house. Amy's eye anxiously scanned the front of it. "'Say no more,' she said hastily. "'Here come both the old ladies out to meet you.' "'Oh, I am so dreadfully afraid of them,' Mrs. Dand murmured. "'They interfere so, and are so exigent.' One would think to listen to them that I was a bad housekeeper. You indulge all their fads. It is they who complicate the situation. Otherwise I might go, mightn't I? No, I personally don't like parting with you, Amy, little cat that you are. You have become second nature to me. Deplorable, isn't it, that a woman should be so poor-spirited? Don't take too much advantage of it, that's all. Go on standing between me and them, as you have done. You have such a way with them, and everybody. I suppose it's called charm, yet you haven't any regular looks, everyone says. We often discuss you. The old ladies and I don't imagine anything escapes two cats. Three. Amy, no one ever said I was spiteful. But now promise me, dear, you'll do nothing before I see you again. Come to my room just before dinner, will you? Amy promised, with apparent unwillingness. 
End of chapter 24 Read by Lisa Reichert